invite you to open your Bible with me this morning to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. We'll be reading the first six verses of Hebrews chapter 11. Remember this uh, writer, uh, I believe it's uh, most likely Barnabas, the encourager, is seeking to encourage the saints of old as uh, in the early church as they are struggling with uh, persecution and maybe just weariness. Uh, the the uh, pilgrim road has been hard and, uh, and long, and uh, they've become a little cynical, and they need to be encouraged and reminded of uh, the great things that God has for them. And the writer does that here in chapter 11, reminding them uh, that by faith, uh, we receive the commendation of God and the reward of God. And so that's what we'll be looking at this morning. Let's pick it up, uh, chapter 11, verse 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And we'll be spending most of our attention there on verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. In in the original, it's just that he is and that he rewards those who seek him. Let's ask the Lord's blessing. God, now as we come to your word, we we come uh, humbly, we come expectantly that your spirit uh, would use this inspired word to speak to our hearts, and we give you the praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen. I read a very sad article recently about the last days of the comedian Robin Williams. As you may remember, he died of suicide in 2014, and um, the New York Times reporter Dave Itzkoff reports that uh, Williams' final year was a sort of a, just a cascading series of, of guilt and failure and fear. Uh, he was uh, plagued with guilt over divorcing his second wife. Uh, he had two children with her and uh, in order to marry his third uh, wife. Uh, he uh, had recently, recently been diagnosed with Parkinson's disease and his career was collapsing. And um, he was terrified. Billy Crystal, one of his closest friends, recounts a phone call that he received from uh, Robin Williams shortly after uh, he had received his diagnosis, and and Crystal said, I'd never heard him like that before. This was the boldest uh, comedian I ever met, the boldest artist I ever met. But on the phone, this was just a scared man. A crushing guilt and encroaching death can do that uh, to a person. Um, it maybe has, uh, you've maybe experienced uh, some of that fear. Have you ever had anxiety about dying or anxiety about standing before the Lord on judgment day? It's very, very common, and I hope you've had uh, that 
anxiety at some point because it means that you're awake to the reality of God and the reality of your need for a Savior. Uh, one of the verses in Scripture that constantly gets my attention is Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 7, and where Jesus says, On that day many will say to me, many, not just a few, many will say on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and do many mighty works in your name? Uh, were we not Jesus' um, devoted disciples of Jesus? And, and did we not do great works through the name of Jesus? And then Jesus says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Well, that gets my attention because that means that there are religious, earnest spiritually awake in that some sense, people who believe in God and believe in Jesus and yet are condemned by Jesus on the last day and are lost. And Jesus says that their works were actually just works of lawlessness. And so they'd lived their whole life in, in delusion. And we would just be silly to think that that's not possible, that that would... Uh, be true of anyone here today. It's real people just like you and, and I who are uh, deluded and can be deluded in this way. So the, the, the question that I want to ask uh, is, well, what happened? Why does uh, Jesus give them this response? They believed. Why isn't this faith acceptable? And this is, you see, it's linked to Hebrews chapter 11 because Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, uh, and, and the verses surrounding it tell us that there's a faith that is acceptable, not just acceptable, but commendable. There are people who, uh, who many even, who do not hear a depart from me, but who hear well done, good, and faithful servant. And I want to know the difference. What distinguishes the one from the other? How do you get uh, the commendation of God not the condemnation. And so that's what we're about uh, this morning. First of all, a warning. We just need to begin with, uh, in, in verse 6 here, without faith, it is impossible to please God. It's the first lesson of Christianity. If, this, if, if, if these are the ABCs in a sense, this is A. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. There's no moving on into a real saving relationship with God without understanding that it is not possible to please him apart from faith. This is a hard lesson for us to learn because we are inclined, like little children who I want to do it all by myself, we have this legal bent, we would much prefer to be able to rescue ourselves by our own efforts. We have that legal bent, and so it's a hard lesson to learn, but it's an essential lesson to learn because if we fail, you see, to learn um, this basic truth, without faith, it is impossible to please God. If you don't learn that lesson, you're lost. You'll be, you'll be inevitably trying to please God in ways that will simply offend him. And so we just have to pay attention to the words. The writer says, uh, he does not say, uh, with, without faith, it is very hard to please God. Uh, he doesn't even say it is nearly impossible. What he says is it is impossible. If you study the Greek word here, you'll see that the Greek word means impossible. <laughs> Full stop. It is not possible. So let, let that just sort of settle down as, and, and put a full and final end 
to all your attempts and desires and hopes and dreams and schemes of pleasing God some other way, by your earnestness, by your tears, by your, um, your moral improvements, or by your promises to, to make changes and good intentions and, and religious activity and sacrificial acts, all the things that we tend to point to when we feel the, the crushing weight of, of guilt and the threat of death. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. But the writer here is not just closing a door. He's opening another one. There's an invitation here. Without faith, it is impossible to please God is the negative way of saying the positive thing that God is greatly pleased by faith. Faith is deeply pleasing to God. We see in verse 2, by it, faith, the people of old received their commendation. And implied there is their commendation from God. Do you want to be commended by God? Well, it happens by faith. The word commended here means uh, to speak well of on the basis of personal experience. So the text tells us that God, the, the living God, the one who is in heaven, who knows all and sees all, that, that God commended, spoke well of these saints of old who lived by faith. And, and the, the insinuation, of course, is that's exactly the same today, that God commends, God speaks well of in the courts of heaven those who have faith, who live by faith. Now, that, does that seem possible to you? Have you ever imagined God in heaven commending, speaking positively of you, testifying, the, the, the word is martyr to testify, testifying in the halls of heaven that he is pleased with you. I think many of us simply don't know how to get there in our mind. It's a staggering thought because of who God is and who we know ourselves to be. How could God ever commend someone like us? We know that we are guilty. And it affects, uh, it makes it difficult for us to receive commendations or compliments maybe in general. I uh, just recently read of a woman who said, when, when people give me a sincere compliment, I, I thank them for it, but later when I'm alone, I cry because I know I don't deserve it. There's something about shame and guilt that, that creates a barrier to actually receiving and accepting kindness or complimentary words or commendation because do we deserve to be commended by God you see it's one thing to be commended if you if you kind of say to yourself yeah I kind of did really a nice job on that but commendation from God the one who is so holy, angels, holy angels don't look at him. They cover their faces with their hands, the seraphim and, and the cherubim as they're, as they're circling his throne and, and worshiping him. They cover their face. That God commending you. You see, I think uh, there's a part of us that just wants to deflect that. Somehow the shame and the guilt feels more safe. The condemnation feels more comfortable. 
But friends, the gospel invites you into the freedom out of the bondage of self-loathing, which accomplishes nothing, and self-deprecation, which is just wounded pride. And the gospel invites you into the commendation of God. That's where the gospel draws you, calls you, wants us to go. Into the light and life and freedom of commendation, divine commendation. And not from some well-meaning friend, not even from a pastor or someone you respect or admire, from God. That's the invitation of the gospel. And there's some of you sitting here right now who think, uh, that's nice for other people, but it's not, it couldn't be true for me. My sin is too deep. My shame is too real. Um, I, I, I don't dare risk believing that that actually could be true. Well, the Bible says that it is God who justifies. Who is it that condemns? And by that, it means that if God justifies, if God, if God commends, if God says righteous and, and well-pleasing, then, the, then other people don't get to, uh, to accuse or condemn in any meaningful way. The devil himself doesn't get to accuse or condemn in any meaningful way, meaningful way and you don't get to accuse or condemn. If God has said righteous, and if God says well-pleasing, we do not get to take the side of Satan and become our own accusers. Not ultimately, right? We need to, we need to receive the gospel. So this is commendation, but it's commendation, you see, that comes in a certain way. It comes by faith. Not because of faith. Faith isn't its, is not its own meritorious good work. It comes by faith. But it, and it's a certain type of faith. And the writer speaks of that in verse 6. Whoever comes to God must believe that he is and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. It seems like a very, very simple doctrinal statement. There's nothing here about Jesus, nothing about the resurrection, nothing about the spirit. It, well, that's because he's not giving a systematic theology in the sense of, a doc, of the contents of faith. But he's... He's, he's talking about the basic elements of the nature of faith. So he's saying there's two things that, that, that God-pleasing faith understands and that people miss to their eternal loss. Two things, the nature of God and the nature of our relationship to God. Those are the two things. That God-pleasing faith understands. The nature of God. So he, whoever comes to God must believe that he is. And by that, surely, the writer just wants to remind these, uh, his original audience of all that they know to be true about God. They have their Old Testament. They know about the God who created heavens and earth. They know about the God who called Abram out of Ur. They know about the God who uh, was with the patriarchs all through the wilderness wanderings and the God who rescued Israel out of Egypt. They know about his saving acts. They know about his word through the prophets. You see, in God-pleasing faith then accepts all that as truth. You know, I, every once in a while I run into someone who finds out I'm a pastor and they'll say, well, oh, I believe in God. Almost as if it's like, high five. Nice. God, good for you. You are such a good... I never do. Because it's... Well, yeah, so does the devil. But he has the wisdom to tremble. 
Faith, faith in God, okay. What do you believe about God? It, it, is the God that you believe in the God who has revealed himself in, in creation and in his word? So that's the faith that's God-pleasing. It's faith that says, Lord, I believe this is actually what you've said and this is what you've revealed about yourself and, and all that you've revealed about yourself and your holiness and your goodness and your justice and righteousness and truth, all of that I accept as true. I believe that you are who you say you are and I'm not gonna try to fudge it and, and try to smooth out some of the rough edges, some of the things I, I, I would rather were not true. I accept you as God. And then you see the nature of our relationship to God. So we understand the nature of God and the nature of our relationship. You need to come to God as he is, but then coming to him, you see, as the rewarder of those who seek him. This, um, this essential element of true God-pleasing faith, it is a vital determining factor in in, in regards to whether your faith actually does please God or whether it offends Him. This is such a critical, critical point. We have to understand this or we will inevitably come to God in ways that offend Him and do not please Him. So the writer is saying that the faith that pleases God does not come to God in order to reward God but to receive from God. God-pleasing faith does not come to God in order to reward God. It comes to God to receive the rewards that God gives. If you quickly turn to uh, Acts 17. This is Paul on, uh, in Athens, Acts chapter 17. And he teaches this basic point, Christianity 101. Acts 17, verse 24. I'll pick it up, verse 22. Acts 17, 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that you are in every way, uh, that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar to, uh, with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, nature of God, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Now, why is he telling the, the Athenians this? Well, because they've assumed the opposite. They, um, they are clueless about the nature of God, which is why they have so many and so, so varied. But all their gods, you see, they relate to all their gods in the same way. Their gods exist to receive the rewards that men can give. And if men do the right things, make the right sacrifices, go through the right rituals, they can get things in return. But the gods of the Athenians are greedy gods. And Paul needs, them to, uh, needs to make clear that the God that he's talking about is not like their gods. You don't do, you don't do business with, with the living God the way you do business with the, with the pagan gods. The pagan gods, you give them what they want and you hope they give you what you want. 
That's not how God operates. God is self-sufficient. He does not, does not live in temples made by human hands, nor does he need anything from men. He is self-sufficient and sovereign. And so if you're going to come to this God, you have to come to him on, right, on his terms. The, the relationship has to be one uh, coming to receive reward, not give rewards. This is the glory of God as Paul thinks about the gospel in Romans chapter 11. He's, he's just gone through Romans 1 through, run through 10, 1 through 11 actually, declaring the gospel and then, and then God's sovereign wisdom and, and, and moving that gospel to the Gentiles. And he sort of wraps the thing up in, in the end of chapter 11. Oh, the depth of the riches of, and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments how inscrutable his ways. And then he says this, who has ever given a gift to him that he might be repaid? God is not receiving gifts so that, that um, he is now indebted to the giver. God is the giver. Do you see how this puts a dead end, just a screeching halt to all religious efforts to please God? To give to God. There are so many people who go to church thinking that. Well, he ought to be satisfied with that. It's an entire day that's, 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 that's shot. Could be doing lots of other things. Or I make sure I get to church at least once a week. And I try to keep the commandments. I do my best. I, I tithe. You see, and all, all of that is, is trying to... Give God rewards, and then the expectation is when you meet him on the last day, he'll look at the book and notice all the things you've done for him and say, well, very well then, come on in. And Jesus will say, depart from me, I never knew you. See, this is the lesson that Cain learned the hard way at the altar. Verse 4, by faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. Through which, not because of which, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. Well, what's that about? How did, why was Abel's sacrifice pleasing to God and Cain's wasn't? Well, if you know the story or if you can read the story in Genesis chapter 4, you know that Abel brought, uh, he was a keeper of sheep, Cain was a worker of the ground, a Cain we read, brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. He brought wheat and grain and maybe vegetables, whatever he had grown. And Abel brought the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. He made a sacrifice. And the Lord had regard for Abel in his offering, but for Cain in his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. So, so what's going on here? Well, notice, you see, the, the two principles are proved. Abel comes to God as he is, as God has revealed himself, as, as Abel knows God to be, a holy, righteous God who is too pure to look on evil. And so knowing God as he is and accepting the truth of God as he is, Abel comes with a sacrifice. Acknowledging the holiness of God and acknowledging the reality of his sin and acknowledging, you see, that he has no basis on which to, um, to appeal to God's mercy and grace, save atoning blood. There needs to be a death to atone for sin, his sin. He comes to God as he is. Cain comes to God as he kind of wishes he would be. 
Someone he can do business with. And, and so Cain comes with his fruits. He doesn't think that much about his sin because he doesn't think that much about God's holiness. Why would blood be required? And when God rejects his gift, he goes away angry. He came to do business with God and God wasn't doing business. Well, who does God think he is? There are all sorts of people in the world today who, who, who feel that I'll do the best I can and that it better be good enough. What right would God have, after all the sacrifices I've made, all the efforts I've, I've put into this, what right would God have to, to, to say no to me? See, it's the, it's the essence of paganism. Abel came to God, rightly understanding who God is. And so while came, Cain came to do God a favor, Abel came to receive a favor. Why is he sacrificing? God doesn't need blood. Abel needs blood. Abel needs cleansing. Abel needs forgiveness. Abel needs mercy. Abel needs grace. And Abel honors God by coming to God, acknowledging his holiness and, and uh, God's holiness in his own unworthiness. And asking for what God alone in his goodness can give. Grace and mercy and love and favor to sinners. So many of the commentators didn't go far enough here. And I mean, I don't say that in a proud way. It's just I think they missed the point. It's not just that, that Cain came with blood sacrifice. He did. But so did Israel. And you'll, you'll read God's saying of Israel in, in Isaiah chapter 1, for instance. Who asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Get, get the sacrifices out of here. I have no pleasure in them. Why not? Because Israel thought they were doing God a favor with the sacrifices. They came to reward God. And God was offended. The faith that pleases God comes to be rewarded by God. And that's, why Abel, that's how Abel came. And that's why he was commended as righteous. God accepting the gift, the sacrifice... Because the gift honors God as holy and it honors the truth that we are not and that God is good and willing to give grace and favor to people who come, confessing their sin and trusting his goodness. And friends, that's how we are then required to come. The faith that pleases God is a faith that faces the truth about, first of all, who God is in all of his righteousness and holiness and justice and goodness and truth. So you, you face the good about the fact, the truth about uh, God as he is, and, and that makes us then face the truth about what we are not. We're not righteous. We're not, we're not basically good people who just need to clean up a few things. We are wicked down to the core of who we are. There's a wickedness inside of you. There's a perversity inside of you. There's a rebellion deep inside you, in your flesh. And it's real and it's yours. And you cannot fix it. And no amount of being spiritual or coming to church or, or, or reciting things is going to fix it. And we have to honor, you see, these truths about the holiness of God and the nature of our need. And we do that by coming, you see, in faith to God through the sacrifice that's been provided. Not the labor of my hands can fulfill thy law demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. 
And friends, ultimately, that's why faith, this faith is so pleasing to God. It, it stops trying to do God favors and starts to receive what God freely gives in Christ. God sacrificed his son so he could give to you life and he could give to you forgiveness and cleansing and grace. He sacrificed his son so he could give these things freely to you because you had nothing with which to purchase them. Will you stop trying to do business with God and become the recipients of free gifts, free grace, free mercy, all through Jesus Christ? That's the faith that God commends. And it's, and it's again, the commendation is not because of faith as a meritorious work, but by faith, through Faith. See, faith is, is the empty hand stretched out to receive what God gives, to receive what merits God's approval, which is Jesus Christ himself. As we come to God in Christ, we're promised a reward. The rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. The idea of earnest, it's just a, in the Greek, it's just a strong way. It's one word, those who seek him, but it's in an intensive form. Those who seek him. According to who he is, according to the nature of the relationship, and that, of course, means that we seek him in Jesus Christ. And what do you get? What is the reward you get if you seek God, acknowledging who he is and who you are and acknowledging the nature of this relationship is that he is the rewarder and you are the receiver? What do you get? You get, you get God. You get God. says, Abraham, I... And your surety, your shield, your very great reward. Paul says in Romans 5, 2, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. You get God. Well, how is that possible? It's possible, you see, by faith in the atoning, saving, res rescuing person and work of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden. Who's he talking to? He's talking to these Jewish people who are trying so hard, the sincere ones, to earn, you see, what only can be given. Working so hard to gain approval. Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. What do you get when you come to Jesus confessing your sin and, and coming not to reward God or do favors for God, but coming to receive? What do you get? Well, you get Jesus. You get Jesus as your sympathizing high priest, Jesus as your righteousness that washes away all of your sin and robes you in his own righteousness. You get Jesus as the anchor of your soul. You get Jesus as your life, Jesus as your reward. Friend, how have you been coming to God? How have you been coming to God? Have you been coming attempting to give or coming to receive? And the answer will be found in how you leave. Cain left angry. Many people come to worship and leave just as they came in. Mildly depressed or cynical, sad, tired, secretly angry. It's too hard. God's asking too much. And whatever happened, you see, they didn't, they didn't find what Abel found. Because if they had, it, it would have resulted in glad worship. We're not told exactly how Abel left his altar, but he came, it's clear he came to worship God as he is, and, and he sought the communion and grace that God promises. And Scripture says that no one ever sought God in vain. And so, friend, the, the word this morning is to seek then him and to receive him. 
The reward, you see, your reward will be commendation from the Father and eternal communion with His Son. There's just nothing better. There's nothing greater, nothing of more value. This is the pearl of great price. Sell everything, all your efforts, all your intentions, all your self-righteous, sell it all. And gain this, the free gift that God gives to sinners who come acknowledging God as he is, facing the truth of who you are, and then believing God is good and he rewards those who come in Christ. Let's pray. Father, you know every heart here, some of us are profoundly tired. Some of us are very weary. Some of us are angry. This Christian life has been nothing but a burden from the day we took it on. Some of us, Lord, feel that um, you owe us better than what we've, we've gotten. And there's bitterness and resentment, and it's awful. And it's trapped us, and we can't escape. Lord, some of us are just apathetic to these things. You, you, you speak life to us, and we're thinking about sports and food and sex and friends. And so, God, we need your help desperately. We need your help. But I thank you, Lord, that you are the helper of the helpless. And that is exactly as we are today that you meet us. Oh, for, Lord, forgive us for turning our faith into a merit badge and for seeking to do favors when you've invited us to receive, to eat and drink and live and worship. And so, Lord, we now come to the table of Jesus Christ and we lay everything else down. We don't have anything to bring except our need and our desire that we would in eating and drinking and believing, find food for our souls and communion with the Son and commendation from the Father. So Father, give us that faith by your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.